Hey guys, Jay here, and you know, living the city lifestyle, I'm always on the go, I'm always running errands, living that fast-paced lifestyle that we all know and love from the city. And you know, I really do love reading books and gaining knowledge and learning about things, but I don't actually have the time to ever sit down and read a good book. That's why we've affiliated with Audible. Go to our website, citymeetscountry.net forward slash affiliates, and go ahead and sign up for your free trial. You get two free audiobooks to start, plus one credit towards any book of your choice. Then after 30 days, you get one free audiobook a month for $14.95 and 30% off any additional audiobook purchases. You can cancel your membership at any time, and you can sign up through your Amazon login as well. It's a great, great way to make sure that you get the knowledge that you need on a day-to-day -day basis without ever having to stop. Start your free trial today, audible.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the City Meets Country podcast, coming to you straight from the Asphalt Farm Studios by Epic Star Media. This is the political and societal podcast with the deferring opinions of a city boy and a country bumpkin. My name is Jay, your friendly neighborhood city slicker, and with me, as always, is my co-host, accomplice, and partner in crime, Trent. Hey, everybody. Today, we are going to be discussing gun control. And with us tonight, ladies and gentlemen, to talk about gun control, we have Mike the Cop. Mike, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, boys. What's up? Not a whole lot. Um, one of the first things I'd like to hit tonight with you, Mike, is since I live in a small community uh -huh. and in our entire county, we only have one city police department in our county. And at any given point, we only have like three cops on duty at any given time. Sure. And I feel something that has been debated about and I'd like to see is allowing school staff on a volunteer basis carry concealed within the school buildings. Sure. Now, see, for me, being from the city, I can see the benefit of that, but I can also see where that can go completely wrong. <laughs> um, you know, I, I grew up in, and went to school in a lot of inner cities. I'm from Miami, Florida. So I know that there is a lot of uh, mistakes, if you will, made by young kids that discover mom and dad's gun or uh, things of that nature. So, I'm a little bit hesitant on that particular subject. We want to know kind of what is your position on, you know, do you think that we should start arming our school staff and pre prevent some of these, you know, on school campus shootings and such? Well, I'm actually a, a really huge proponent of uh, independent thinking. So uh, I, I think that context is important. I think that no one knows their community and their kids better than the parents and I think that uh, the public school system should be serving the community and not um, not dictating to parents what is good for their kids. So the very notion that the school gets to decide is sort of something that bothers me, I think, on an intellectual level uh, and philosophical level and, and a practical one. So I think that some communities may not want that. Others may want it. And I think that they should be able to decide that. I think this, like I said, the school should be at the service of the parents since they're the ones whose tax dollars are being taken to pay for it. So um, in a lot of ways, I think that the decision needs to happen at the local level, at the school level. I'm not necessarily on principle opposed to volunteers who 
want to be able to carry their firearms there. I've, we've actually, uh, I've talked to teachers before. I have a friend that I went to high school with that now has been at our high school for all these years later. Now he's like the librarian. He's served a, a bunch of different roles, but you know, he, he brought up some good points as a teacher that was like, well, I, I don't feel comfortable carrying. So we, we solved that with the volunteering issue, but then you have a lot of deconfliction problems. Uh, I think that if you're going to have that, you should have proper training because if the police are going to respond to something, there really needs to be some some deconfliction so that there's no confusion as to what the response is. I think the downside is that if it's just a bunch of people that have guns um, and there's no plan for how they'll respond if in the event that they need to, that could be uh, a recipe for disaster. Uh, I think on a practical level. So I think as long as there's a plan in place, then I'm fine with it. I mean, on principle, I, I think every every person that wants to carry a gun, that as long as they're not a, a criminal, should have one. Yeah, and I, I mean, I can see that, you know, especially you mentioned, you know, people being trained and, 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 and responsible with it and being it on a volunteer basis. I know a lot of big cities, especially like the inner city schools, they have their own security guards. In my junior high, we had our own security guards that actually patrolled the school. Obviously, they were unarmed. Uh, but I can support and I can get behind arming security guards, trained personnel, if it were. Mm-hmm. See, where I look at it, Jay, is my community is so small that we have eight towns with our county going to the one school. We've got two schools in our county, but we don't, our school district is so poor that we can't afford a resource officer. I mean, come on, I went my entire high school career we didn't even have stalls on the bathroom doors, let alone having the ability to pay to have a resource officer on staff. So, you know, the options of us having a security guard of any type is out of the question. And that's that's where I see where, you know, let's say you have this teacher that's, you know, a military vet that's already got the training, but it, chooses you know hey i'll volunteer you know to carry as long as the police department knows about it i'm all for it so i think this is actually a really good segue into kind of our next question you know mike what is your position on uh, having like gun safety classes in school and in when I was growing up in Miami, we we actually did have gun safety classes in school. It obviously was one of those things you had to, you know, get a permission form signed and whatnot. But kind of what is your position on, you know, should that should that be like a mandatory thing or, or, or you know, should it be kind of like sex ed? You know, like, you know, we'll, we'll send a permission form home. <laughs> yeah, again, I, I, uh, I fall back on each community should be able to sort of decide for itself Uh what they would like to see as far as their education goes. And, you know, gun safety is, is a great thing. Um, I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm very pro gun. So I, I'm, I have no problem with a, a gun safety class there, there again is that's a great option, right? So if you didn't want your kids, like, uh, I, I enjoy like making sure that we review certain things that are going to be taught to our kids in school. If they're going to be taught sex ed would be one of those things where you get to take a look at the the material ahead of time. You can know where your kids at, what conversations you've had with them. 
and and where you need to either have a conversation with them before or after that class or or whatever to be able to parent your child. Unfortunately, we live in a culture where most people um, have come to depend uh, on the government and on school to raise their kids for them, and they depend on they depend on depend on others to do what they should be doing for themselves in the first place. That's probably another discussion, but. Um, yeah, a permission slip. You want your, we have a, this is who's going to teach the class. This is going to be the contents. Do you want your kids to go through it? Uh, great. You know, maybe as a parent, you don't, you're not equipped or you don't, you're not a gun guy or girl. And so you're like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely like sign my kid up for that if they're interested and they can go through it. I don't have a problem with it being taught in the public schools, you know, and, and if a school district, because of the overwhelming support of the parents that are putting their kids there, want something compulsory, then so be it in that context. See, it, it started a debate here in Iowa because uh, we have certain districts now that have gone ahead and mandated gun safety in classes with the option of the parents uh, not allowing their kids to do it. So they, they actually actually have to call up the school and tell them, hey, I don't want my kid to do this, and then turn around and have to find them extra activities to do. And you know what? I I think I like the idea of making it a volunteer thing rather than a mandate. Yeah, and I can get. I, I can actually get behind that. And the reason being is because I mean, obviously, every metropolitan area is different. I'm I'm pretty sure. You know, I've I've visited Detroit several times. I'm pretty sure in Detroit they're not going to share the sentiment, and I'm pretty sure in Miami they're not going to share the sentiment where I'm from. But here in Salt Lake City, where I live, it's even though it's a very conservative community, uh, we're an open carry state. So there are members of the LDS Church that walk around carrying a Glock or whatnot. So I think that it's actually it would actually be something very beneficial for to a society especially like Salt Lake City and cities that are, uh, I don't want to say more conservative, but cities that are a lot more gun smart, in my opinion. With that, I'm just going to go ahead and segue into the next question. And I honestly want to know where you stand on this, Jay. I mean, we've we've talked about it a little bit, but we've tried to avoid it Mm -hmm. until the show. But the proposed assault weapons bans, I mean, at this point, from what I've seen, nobody can sit here and say, definitely what an assault weapon is what what do you feel as i would say because you're more liberal what would what would you classify as an assault weapon what what particular features well an assault weapon to me and trent you can get behind this because you know we're both military brats Uh, an assault weapon to me is something that can go fully automatic which now a lot of people, when they hear this, are going to be like, Jay, what are you doing? You know, liberals for life, you know, but understandably so. The AR-15 in its natural state without being modified is technically not an assault weapon. Do I think that people should have an AR-15? Probably not. However, I do support the Second Amendment, which, it you know, obviously gives provision to... Uh, for people to give the right to bear arms, you know, and that's not only to protect themselves in their home, but also to protect from government tyranny. So that I understand, but I do think that there should be a federal ban on weapons that can, that have the ability to be fully automatic. That's my definition. Okay. But with the right modifications, you can make a handgun an automatic. 
all it takes is the correct parts. But, okay, I look at the Ruger Mini-14. It is essentially the same weapon as an AR-15. It's a lower profile, it's a little bit shorter, Hmm. but for the most part throughout its history, it's been made out of wood. They both fire... They both fire the 5.56 NATO, and they both fire the 2.23. Mm-hmm. Now, why why do you think the AR-15 has been given, and Mike, feel free to jump in here, but why do you feel that the AR-15 is, is viewed as such an evil weapon, but nobody says anything about these rifles that have the same capacity, same rounds that are made out of wood? I, I can tell you why. It's it's because it's low-hanging fruit. It looks scary. Mm-hmm. It's used in the military. And so if you're going to erode people's uh, freedoms and rights away, then start with what uh, can play on the fears and the, the perception that you, can, uh, that you can put into their minds and in front of their eyes. And so uh, those that are easily deceived, which is a massive amount of people, um, nobody wants their kids hurt. Nobody wants to see mass shootings. And so if an AR-15 is used, then they can, they can play to that and they can, they can take advantage of the fact that the, most people are, are ignorant of its function and its scope of use. And so if you want to go after the right to bear arms, then you start with the low-hanging fruit. And if you can get the inch, then you can take the mile. So that's why they start with the AR-15. That and I, I completely agree with that. It's 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 really perception, you know, based on uh, on who's receiving the information, how the information is delivered. I mean, we saw after the Las Vegas shooting, and and you know, I want to first re- to iterate before I go into this next part that my heart, my my heart and soul goes out to the people of Las Vegas and the people that were involved in that or that were victimized by that because I lived in Las Vegas for three years. But the day after that shooting. The media was all a frenzy about about you know assault weapons and bump stocks and you know and and range and you know it being an assault weapon and how he took you know all this stuff into this hotel room. It, it's the ease of information and how it's delivered. I think that's really what it boils down to, and I completely agree with Mike that it's it's low hanging fruit. So if you're going to go after that in particular, you know people's right to bear arms, you go with what's easy first. Okay, now. With the low-hanging fruit, they're also targeting high-capacity magazines because they're afraid, you know, oh, 30 rounds, you know, nobody needs 30 rounds, which, I mean, you know, probably not, but what's it matter? I mean, the Second Amendment was put into place so we could defend ourselves in part from a tyrannical government. Now, if our government decided to sit here and start banning, you know, take away our Second Amendment right, there's going to be an uprising, in my eyes, and probably another civil war. Now, by getting rid of high-capacity magazines, what you're essentially doing is you're not allowing us to have the same amount of firepower as the military. I can, I mean, in my mind, this, the it's it's super simple. There's zero reason to not to limit uh, magazine capacity. There's zero reason to limit the type and style of weapons that that Americans have. Uh, fully automatic, semi-automatic, you know, single action bolt rifle, uh, belt fed, thirty round mags, ten round mags, whatever. There is actually in in my in my view, there is zero reason to limit any of it unless you're talking about a person 
uh, who is is known to be a criminal or should not have access to weapons because they've been adjudicated, uh, obviously, like mentally incapable uh, of handling a firearm for some reason. There's there's caveats to that, but for the for the normal law abiding citizen, there's zero reason to limit anything for firearms. Somebody should be able to have a tank if they want. Doesn't matter to me. Arnold Schwarzenegger has a tank. <laughs> I dig it. I'd like, I'd like to go for a ride. <laughs> he was offering rides for a little while there, wasn't he? <laughs> I think it was a contest. <laughs> I just say I just wish it wouldn't didn't have a law stating that you know the turret couldn't be operational. Why not? Oh no, I I want the turret to be operational, but <laughs> they make it so you can't. No, you can't. But there's no reason to not the the idea behind banning uh, machine guns for citizens. Why? There's there's no reason behind it. There's there's zero practical reason to it. I've never heard one anyway. If you guys have one, let me know. I don't have a reason. I mean, I I believe and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you get the if you get the correct FFL, you can own them as a collector. There there are ways in in certain states to get fully automatic machine guns, but why why make it so difficult? Why I should be able to just go buy it as a as a law abiding citizen? I should be able to just go get it. Don't see why not. Now I want to clarify my position because I have a weird position with 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 guns. I was raised around them. I've been around them all my life. Uh, they don't scare me, you know. As, as far as you know, oh, well, you know, I'm very cautionary, obviously, but that's mainly because I overthink a lot. Uh, I don't believe in the uh, the slow stride that I see our society making towards, you know, banning the Second Amendment. I believe in our Constitution the way it is, the way it was meant to be. But I do think that there needs to be oversight. See, the the problem with oversight and regulations, Jay, is, okay, you, you look at, you know, say a national gun registry, which I think is a terrible idea because, honestly, do you want, you know, as a law-abiding citizen and having that, you know, rare possibility of having to fight the government, do you want them knowing that you have a gun, honestly? Well, you have to register your vehicle. Yeah, but the ownership of a vehicle and driving a vehicle on a public public roadway isn't a right in the Constitution. Be that the case, but in, in there are in many ways, and you know, this is probably the the quintessential liberal argument. But there are many ways that a vehicle is is dangerous, just like a, a weapon is dangerous. Any weapon, you know, gun, your steak knives. Obviously, you're not registering your steak knives, but. I don't see a problem with that mainly because if there, if there was, if there was to come a time in a, in a rare event where we had to fight off a tyrannical government, they're going to know that we're armed. doesn't matter who owns the gun. Yeah. That's, that's the, the reason I, I don't, I, I reject that idea that, well, you register a car. So why not register a gun? The, the reasons for registering a car are, go way beyond the reasons the government would want to know you have a gun. So it, it's it's a completely different situation because the average person doesn't use a gun every day. There, it's, there's no like 
regular use in a public space of guns in a way that would require registration uh, to maintain public roadways, to be able to have a, a set of uh, a revenue to generate to keep keep public roads um, accessible and functioning for the purpose of driving. In addition to that, now you have the idea of car accidents and the, the necessity to be able to identify what vehicles belong to who as far as um, responsibility for actions that are taking taking place on the roadway. There's a whole litany, literally a, a, a very lengthy list of, of reasons that don't translate into firearm ownership or carrying of those firearms because the use of a, of a motor vehicle on a public roadway is a very different scenario than the use of a gun either for hunting or for personal defense in the event that you needed to do that. So it's just, it doesn't translate as a sensible comparison to me for those reasons, because the the scope and use and purpose of those things are entirely different. Now, one thing I believe, despite um, standard ground, which I think every state should have, but at the very least, Mike, do you think that every state should at, should adopt some type of castle doctrine. Well, I, I think that there needs to be some some law and order be behind the idea of of lethal force. Uh, I, I'm all in favor of the idea of of the castle doctrine in some semblance being applied in every state. But I'm also a big believer in state rights. Um, so, I, however, it would be expressed in that state, you know. Okay, well, if if this state wants to be more narrow here, then I just won't live there. You know, too many people are are more worried about their convenience than their convictions. So um, I'm a, I'm a big believer in state rights. So I've I've been on public record, sort of tongue in cheek, saying give uh, give give the entire West Coast to all the liberals. Every just let's let that be. Uh, all all far left people go to California, Oregon, and Washington. You can have it all. And once they devour themselves of all of their resources, which is where their logical economic conclusions lead you, which is where all of their weapon uses lead you, which is where all of their views on the police lead you. And I'm talking about <laughs> in as broad strokes as possible to the far left. Just give all those states to them. And when they devour themselves and they're all sick and, and dying and left, then we just walk back in and take it. And then we can... Then we can have state rights again, <laughs> because the, the 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 all of the arguments on on the far left are all self defeating. They'll all they'll all if left to themselves. The only thing sustaining them being able to even have a voice uh, is a world in which it they don't acknowledge their values. <laughs> that's that's what keeps them alive. Like here in Iowa, um, before we adopted stand your ground, the way our laws were written was somebody could break into your house and they could steal everything in your house in front of you. But until they became a threat to you or someone else, there was nothing you could do. You couldn't even touch them. And I think that is completely wrong. Cause you know what? I've got my wife and my two kids and the way I say it, if you break into my house, that to me in itself is enough of a threat to at the very least me chase you out with a firearm. 
and I'm I'm sort of opposite of that, and you know this trend. I mean, I it, because it, being from Miami and a lot of the other cities I've lived in, I, I've known, especially young kids, you know, 17, 18, 19, that okay, they make the wrong decisions, they get involved with the wrong crowd, you know, or life is just hard and they're breaking into somebody's house to try and steal something of value so that they can sell it and, you know, get dope or whatever the case may be. And I've known and worked with a lot of these young guys and young kids and young women too, you know, that I don't believe that I'm not saying that I don't believe that they could be a threat. They could always be a potential threat, but I don't believe that the first reaction should be to draw down because I, I, cause I, and I think that's just me being kind of empathetic about it. You know, that, okay, you made the wrong decision. Stop what you're doing. Think, you know, do you want to go to jail? Or you want to go home? Not to quote a movie, but. Okay. But as you put it, the simple act of drawing your weapon with with people of that mindset should be enough for them to rethink their decision and just simply leave. But you still want to have that option if needed. I don't know. And I, and, and part of the weird thing is, is I do have weapons in my house, but I don't think it would be my first reaction to, 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 you to, to grab one. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that because a lot of thieves, at least, at least that I've experienced, they break in usually when they believe that there is nobody there. So they're not looking for conflict. Not a chance I'm going to take. There's only going to be one story left unless I got really bad aim. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree there. Um, okay, Jay. Um, you, you've probably heard this in multiple news stories or just random people talking, mm-hmm. but um, this, what I, what I would say is the mythical gun show loophole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't understand where, you know, with you being liberal, you, you might understand a little more than I do. And Mike's probably got some insight on it, but where do they get off thinking that you can just simply walk into a random gun show and purchase a gun, get it same day and without a background check? Well, I mean, in at least in Las Vegas, because the, the, the laws there are obviously on firearms are a little bit looser, but at least back in the day, I haven't been there in a while. <laughs> back in the day, that's, that's what it was. You, you would walk into an expo, purchase a gun and leave. But I know of no state that sit, can sit here that sit, sits here and says, you know, okay, you have an FFL, go ahead and sell to whoever you want. Because in order to sell at a gun show, you still have to have an FFL. And the laws regulating those alone say you have to do a background check or you'll simply lose your license, let alone face jail time or fines. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm at a slight disadvantage here because I've actually, I haven't gone to a gun show in Vegas. I've gone to a gun show, just not in Vegas. Um, so, I mean, Mike, you want to chime in on this? Because like I said, I'm at a complete disadvantage here. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've, I've never bought a gun at a gun show. Uh, I know Steven Crowder did a video before where he kind of debunks that whole myth by going to different places to try to get a gun without a background check, that kind of a thing. Like it's the same thing. My understanding of it is that if you buy a gun from a gun show, you're having to buy from an authorized dealer. It's not like it's a uh, Leroy from down the street selling out of his trunk. So it's going to be somebody who has the FFL, somebody that's going to run the standard background check that you get if you go to Cabela's or wherever else that you're going to buy your your long gun from. So it doesn't, you know, it is what it is. But again, I, I don't even, uh, I'm not worried about that at all. Like, I'm, I want every American to have as many guns as they can possibly afford without, you know, being unreasonable. A little off topic here, but... um. As a cop, there there's one thing that I've seen here and there throughout throughout different news articles that I've seen on the internet and on TV. But what do you think about these three um, D uh, printer plant gun plans being available online just openly to the public? Do you think there needs to be some sort of regulation behind that, or they should freely be able to get them? Uh, I never really thought about it as far as 3D plans go. Uh, off the top of my head, I would say that I don't know what making them unavailable is going going to accomplish. I mean, I guess the idea that some criminal could just print his own gun, but to me, you know, crackheads don't go through that much effort and I don't care. <laughs> and usually, you know, crackheads have spent all their money on dope anyway. So <laughs> they're not going to be able to afford a 3d printer. <laughs> like I said, man, like it's the, the gun control issue is less control is, is preferred for me. And this obviously coming from a cop, like like the, the bad guy, it having a 3d printable gun, doesn't seem like a thing that bad guys do. Um, I mean, you can, you can print lowers, you know, for your assault rifles and things like that, but the, the parts that make it go bang, uh, can't be printed really as easily. So <laughs> these, these things are like, I don't know, whatever people that are people that are bent. This is where the conversation gets lost because the reality is that people that are bent on wanting to have a weapon to harm people are going to do it. If that's their intent, they're going to figure out a way to do it. So uh, to me, the gun control isn't the issue. It's it's uh, eliminating uh, morons from society. So that that's that's really the issue. Guns, guns aren't the problem. People are the problem. Here's one that your wife brought up, Jay, and I, I thought was actually a pretty good um, thing to talk about. Um she she brought up the police body cams and yeah. the fa- and the fact that they don't always catch everything that could be needed right. from one end or the other. Right. And she she mentioned there there's this company now making uh, cameras to go on the on the on the service pistols. Mm-hmm. Um, my only problem with those cameras. Why? Well, I do think they could be helpful. I think they're too expensive for most departments to um, be able to afford that. And I think, don't you think that the camera itself would become a hindrance in a drawdown situation? I mean, it, it really depends on how they design it. Uh, you know, if, if they were to design 
in my opinion, if they were to design a, 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 a camera that would go on the bottom rail of a pistol, you know, yes, I understand that's n- normally for a, a flashlight, but if they were to design something like that, I think that would be not necessarily relatively inconspicuous, but, you know, I think that would be, uh, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Usable. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that it would be completely out of the ordinary, if that if that makes sense. All right, ladies and gentlemen, more with Mike the Cop and gun control right here on City Meets Country. Stay tuned. <sighs> There's nothing to do, Trent. What are we going to do? Now, why don't you put on the 30 for 30 podcast? I don't want to listen to a 30 for 30 podcast. Well, then what do you suggest? Ben Shapiro? No, we're not listening to Ben Shapiro. I want to listen to uh, Wolverine The Longest Night. Yeah, I'm tired of Marvel. Really? That's a great podcast. If you can get picky with your podcast, why not get picky with your TV? Go to citymeetscountry.net forward slash affiliates and sign up for your seven-day free trial today. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the City Meets Country podcast, your premier political podcast. We're here with Mike the Cop talking about gun control. I guess I can jump in on the, the body cam issue. The whole the, the thing that people don't understand about body cams is that they're a lot more impractical than people wish they were. They, uh, they tout them as the solution to an issue, and, and, it's, and it's not. It's just simply not uh, for a lot of reasons. One is uh, you simply cannot capture on camera exactly what an officer's perspective is. It's not going to happen. Um, you're not going to uh, pick up on subtle cues that are learned over time as an officer about someone that's going to run, someone that poses a threat, someone that is going to uh, aggress you in some way. There's so many nonverbal cues and um, feelings and ways of perceiving in the room and in the you know situation that a camera is not going to understand that an untrained person watching that on the news is too moronic, too ignorant. Literally, I say that like in the kindest way possible. Like they literally are too stupid about the situation to be able to make a, a proper assessment about it. That cameras fall way short. Uh, then you have angles and what the camera can actually see. And adding another one to a gun, it, it, it's it's irrelevant compared to the the body cam or a face cam or a dash cam or, or whatever else like, and, and not that being filmed is a problem. The problem is how it's perceived by people watching the film. It's, it's literally impossible to be able to take a piece of film and then say that you understand the situation in its entirety, just from that without experience doing it. And then uh, on that, you mentioned the cost Uh, that that's, it's super prohibitive. My department didn't add body cams because we couldn't add two full-time employees to manage it and pay for the storage space to have it. Because now all that becomes subject to FOIA. You have to have people available to to pull a footage, edit it you know, down, uh, pull it off, and, and get it to whoever's requesting it. It just was too impractical from a cost perspective. So people want it. And now that we've had body cams have been very pervasive, now there's not a much outcry from it because – you know what? Uh, it shows that 
point some percent of the time, what officers are doing is exactly what they're supposed to. So people thought that the body cams were going to bring out this big revelation that there was a problem in policing. And all it did was put a big fat uh, palm in their face uh, of the false narrative. Yeah, I can get completely behind that. You know, I as far as like the whole cam issue, uh, you know, whether it's a gun cam, whether it's a body cam, I personally am actually indifferent. Uh, and the main reason is, is because I actually descend from a long line of cops. My uncle was a lieutenant in the Homestead Police Department for God knows how many years. My father was a police officer under Frank Rizzo in South Philly uh, for 10 years of his life prior to him leaving. Rizzo? Did you say Frank Rizzo? Yes. Wasn't that our uh, Jerky Boys thing? Rizzo. <laughs> I thought he was talking about our local radio announcer. Oh, there's a lot of Frank Rizzo's apparently. Um, no, he was a, he was a police commissioner in, in Philadelphia for I don't know how many years, but I, and I think he actually ran for mayor after that. Uh, so no, I, I completely understand the the need for experience as far as you know being able to pick up on those little things and, and understand and read people. Um, that was something my father really tried to teach me kind of that psychological warfare as far as, you know, well, anticipating how people are going to react in certain scenarios, just based on uh, the things that you can pick up by reading their body language, by reading the, where their eyes are going by, you know, looking at, you know, looking at, in poker, we say looking for the tell. <laughs> um, so no, I completely understand and support that. And I get that. And I, I, we, we had a situation here where one of our local sheriffs, he was also on the fire department with me. Um, at the time, he had been on the department for, I don't know, 10, 11 years at the point. And I think a body cam actually probably could have saved the uh, county a lot of money. He was led on a chase by a guy that is that has quite a record. And he led him on this chase for about eight miles before he finally just abruptly stopped his car. The problem with our department is before we got body cams was we only had to rely on the dash cams and Chad had gotten out of his vehicle and he thought he saw him reaching for a gun, but in all honesty, he was leaning over and pulling a cell phone out of uh, his glove box, which is mistake number one. But I honestly think where Chad probably made the mistake from the time Chad stopped his car, to the time he ran up to the window and busted it out and shot it was probably three seconds. Backup was probably two, three minutes away. Now, Chad did eventually win the uh, the criminal case, but the county itself lost the civil suit for wrongful death. Now, Mike, do you, do you think a body cam would have helped in that situation and saved the county money? Or do you think that them losing the civil suit itself was entirely wrong based on the fact that Chad had won the criminal case. Well, I mean, obviously civil and criminal are going to, they have two different standards of, of, of proof for winning. So, I mean, they're, they're sort of different ball games. Um, and, and it probably just depends on how one takes the evidence, right? Like, so I'm really super glad OJ lost his civil suit, but, or, uh, but won the criminal, right? But that's how I per- that's how I perceive the evidence as as an outside observer. So that's sort of like it is what it is. Uh, 
we could look at situations where, yeah, the body cam would have helped an officer. Like if someone was claiming that an officer was mistreating them, then the body cam shows otherwise, you know, so I'm not anti body cam. I just think that it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't do what everybody wishes it would do, you know? So, I mean, it'd be great if I had a helicopter following me 24 seven too, and making sure that I was cleared of any wrongdoing because of that. But, you know, at certain points it becomes unpractical, but I think the body cam issue, like long-term the cost on a body cam is going to go way down just because technology is having to keep up and and it's going to advance. And eventually at some point the cost of, of having a body cam and, and storing data just won't be the same issue that it used to be. Yeah. And it, there's a bill out of Michigan and I'm not sure if it's passed, you know, you, you can tell me if it has or not, Mike, but there's a lawsuit that preceded this where there were foster parents that wanted to, that want to have the right to have firearms within their homes, but the current system doesn't allow it. Now, do, do you think that, the, that those foster families should have the right to have firearms in their home with wards of the state? Uh, hmm. Another question I never really uh, pondered before. I would say that, yeah, th- this is this is where state state law probably supersedes that freedom in the sense of that individual or that couple that is taking in a kid in the foster care is basically having to agree to a set of standards that's going to be applied to them in order to to basically be connected to something that is state property. So. You know, uh, sometimes we do things to give up our rights in order to do something that we feel uh, more compelled or a higher calling to. So, I mean, that it is uh, something to consider. Uh, I, if if that was a like, I wouldn't foster a child if I had to give up my rights to have a gun because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take responsibility for a child I can't protect. So that's me personally. So if that's the rules, then that's the rules. Um, I think that if we had a more pro-gun culture, we wouldn't even be having that discussion, though. So on a practical side, I think I wish it wasn't that way, but I would understand why, given the circumstances of a lot of foster kids come from homes where they, they're trouble kids, they're difficult children in terms of their behavior, where they came from crap situations, and then now they're with some other family, and if they have access to, to firearms or whatever else, but where do we draw the line? Do we get alcohol out of the house? Because the kid might get hammered, you know. What what do we what do we do? What do we cross those lines? Well, I mean, every every jurisdiction is going to have to kind of fight those battles and, and have those debates. But you know, personally, I wish it wasn't that way. Practically, I understand why it is, and I just you know that we we play by the rules, so to speak. I completely agree. And it's it's mainly because for me personally, it's like I said, I I don't have an issue with their game being guns in the home, and I support what Mike says. You know, if, if you believe that you know you need a firearm in your home to be able to protect your family, I think that you should you know be allowed to do that. I don't think me personally, in if I were to foster a child. It's a difficult and 
B, I don't know what I'm getting myself into to begin with. I don't know what kind of people they associate with. So that's a big question mark for me. And especially because I already have kids. Uh, so that leaves a lot of chance in the game. Um, I mean, me personally, it, it, it's, it's really about, uh, and this is going to sound really, really weird, especially coming from me. And I can't believe I'm about to, you know, the words that are about to come out of my mouth, but it's about how I feel about the situation. You know, if I believe that the child I am fostering would be mature enough to be around a weapon. Yes. Do I believe that the state should have a say in whether I keep a weapon in my home? No. See, because the way I look at it is like Mike said, where do you draw the line? Because, okay, now you can't, you can have a weapon in your home to defend your family or these poor foster kids that you're taking in. I mean, what, what's the next step? You know, they, Okay, they get that, and then they turn around and go, "Oh, now you're a step parent." You know what? What if they're sitting here now saying, "Jay, you can't have a weapon in your house because because when you marry Jess, you'll have Rex, and he's not biologically yours." Yeah, I'd have a big issue with that. I would have a big issue with that, and I mean, me personally, um, and, you know, like I said, I grew up around guns. You know, my father had a 38 when I was when I was Rex's age. You know, a 38 snub nose, and then he finally got with the times eventually, and he got got himself a nine mil. <laughs> uh, and then when I was living with my sister, you know, I was around gun safes and hunters and bows and you know knives that can cut your finger off from five miles away and stuff like that. Uh, but we were we were very much, I guess you could say, uh, I was raised in a manner where you were forced to mature fast and not necessarily to take away from your childhood, but you know, you were, you were told this is real. You know, I, you know, my, my father was one of those guys who would sit you down and say, you know, I, I, you know, we could sit down here and pretend like everything's okay and sing Kumbaya and I can blow smoke up your ass, but there is the other side. And eventually you're going to be 18. You're going to be out of my house and you're going to be dealing with what's real. So we can sit here and roast marshmallows or we can talk about what's real. My, my, my father was very practical as, as well as most of my family were. So in my particular situation, I was very comfortable around firearms, you know, it was, and I, I know how to use firearms. I I've, you know, I've, I've held and, and used everything from the M one grand to the, uh, to a 38 snub nose, a 30 out six, a mini 30. Uh, I've, I've fired a nine millimeter. I've filed a 454 Casul. Uh, one of the things I really would like to do someday is, is, you know, get my hands on a desert Eagle and see how that feels. I never, you know, but, uh, oh, I, I'm pretty sure we can arrange that. <laughs> That'll be one of those, you know, city meets country video segments. <laughs> okay. Now as pro gun as I am, Jay, um, three day waiting periods. Um, I don't know about three days, but I think there should be some sort of waiting period just based on, a, you know, a cool down period because, you know, let, let's say you turn around and got, you know, pissed you know pissed off at someone and you decided you know what i'm i'm done with them 
and you decide you're just going to go out and buy a gun and go hunt them down. Now, I think that three-day waiting period or some sort of waiting period honestly should be a national thing just simply as a cool-down period in instances like that. What do you guys think? National regulation. So I guess my my response to that is why? Just because of 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 that one circumstance, like I, I would look at the there's roughly eleventh. I I think if you go over the last decade or so, we would average around eleven thousand homicides nationally. Um, out of all of those, how many would have been prevented by a waiting period? And I think it's almost a statistical anomaly like non-existent. So to me, the waiting period is just an additional infringement on my freedom. Like it, it really, it, it would make no practical difference to those that would be uh, killed by homicide versus, versus any other means. Because I'll tell you what, if I want to kill you, I'll just take a big ass stick and whoop you in the head. It's same as, same as there's no waiting period for that. Like in the heat of the moment, if I want to, if I want to end your life, I will, I'll just choke you to death. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is like crimes of passion have MOs of, of things that go well beyond firearms. So, um, in fact, I, I'm a lot, I'm a lot more scared if we, if we were in a room trapped together and you pull the gun or you pull the knife, I'll be wanting to shoot you a lot faster if you have a knife versus a gun. Cause I can jump out of, I, I, I can hope that you got worse aim, but you can be really terrible with a knife and still slay me open, you know? <laughs> True. And we've kind of discussed this a little bit. And Jay, one thing Jay's always brought up is we've got um, other countries that have these gun bans that they don't have as high of a death rate due to their, due to their rules, due to their laws and regulations. And, he he believes it would lower the um, gun death rate in our country if we if we had the same. The only problem I see with that, Jay, is you you got to look at it like England, where it's a lot. You can still get guns, but it's a lot harder. But they're still finding ways to to kill each other, whether it's acid, knives, or whatever. But in the long run, it doesn't reduce the violent crime rate at all. If it does, it's very minute. Listen, I've been around. I've been around this earth forty three years, and and I I I'm I'm telling you, I have I've studied this issue in and out, and there's simply no no statistical data that could that is that is remotely available that would indicate to me that anything anything about increased gun control would be of value to society. I know that's arrogant to say, but. Well, I I've looked at Jay and I've, I've told him straight up, you know, you, you, you got, you want to talk about gun regulations all day long, you know, that's fine. But all I'm going to do is simply point over to the great gun control experiment. That is Chicago. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a great point. Like super restrictive gun laws and still massive problems uh, it's like Detroit, where I'm from. Uh, you want to talk about a, a bastion of democratic hope in terms of the Dem- Democratic Party? Well, you don't need to look any further than Detroit, and it ruined this city. Um, so, you know, it, it's there. The other option is we can stop having people in Florida mate and uh, 
you know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that'll, help the, that'll help the country out. <laughs> That's going to make it into the final cut. Oh man. Shot through the heart. <laughs> I mean, like, how many headlines start out with Florida, man? Not since I left. I just want to point that out. Not since I left Florida has that started happening. To our viewers and listeners out there, I, I was actually not born to Florida natives. <laughs> second, second place goes to Alabama. Some, <laughs> some dude just got caught molesting a horse and had a taser on him. So that, that's an Alabama thing. I mean, Jay, wasn't it not too long ago that there was a couple that decided to uh, do their mess sales out of a drive through window in their trailer? That was Florida. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, I can't. I, I can't believe I'm about to defend this. But you think Nick of <laughs> you think of the convenience. <laughs> so look, Florida has it's a genius business strategy. It, it is, and and I mean, you think about it. Florida has one of the largest trailer parks in the world, and you think about the people that live in that particular trailer park. I'm not going to say names, but the. You know, the initials of the city are North Fort Myers, Florida. <laughs> Good 99% of the people that live in that trailer park are crackheads. And Crack Donald. Yeah. <laughs> Crack- <laughs> Didn't you live in Fort Myers, Jay? I did, yeah. <laughs> I lived there for actually like five or six years. For, well, I can't say that. I lived in Fort Myers for like three or four years. And then I, I, I reached the the age of, of reason and i moved to cape coral but fort myers didn't bother me so much because i was from miami so I'd, I'd seen some terrible shit in my life so i mean it wasn't like it wasn't like news to me it was like hey dude you want to you know smoke some pot now nah, I'm, I'm good bro like are you a cop no i'm not <laughs> only on two days my dad used to be but i mean i <laughs> got a cigarette i'll smoke a cigarette that's fine <laughs> But Mike, thank you so much for being here. It's been an honor and a pleasure to have you talk about gun control with us. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you at? Uh, yeah, you can find me wherever. Uh, if you look up Mike the Cop, as long as it's not the crooked one from NYPD <laughs> in the 90s, that's probably me. Um, if you look up my podcast off the cuff, as long as it's not the uh, bondage podcast, that's that's also mine. Not the pod- <laughs> that, that, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying that that's not mine. Um, and then, yeah, <laughs> humanizing the badge is the nonprofit that I helped found. And then we actually are, um, just got our approval from the IRS for our next nonprofit, uh, that we've been kind of having an under the umbrella of humanizing the badge that I'm really passionate about. It's called call for backup. So not a lot of people know that like in 2018, 150 officers were killed in the line of duty, but 160 are confirmed um, beyond that as suicides. So uh, suicide in the law enforcement community is obviously a huge issue. And those are the confirmed ones. Those aren't the ones that sort of like get embarrassingly, embarrassingly swept under the rug because suicide is sort of like a taboo topic as it is. And so we actually have a training program where we're, it, we have just in February already been in two different places doing the training and we equip first responders. So police, fire, military, uh, dispatchers, uh, paramedics, all the first responder world, we actually have a training program to help them 
deal, understand and deal with the unique stresses that come with the job. And then also how to recognize signs of um, suicidal tendencies or thoughts in their coworkers and themselves and how to reach out and call, you know, quote unquote, call for backup when they need it. So that's a huge passion of ours right now. And so you can either go to humanizingthebadge.com or you can go to callforbackup.org. And both of those are uh, very worthy uh, ways to, you know, get acquainted with uh, law enforcement nonprofits or good causes. You know, that, that new organization, I'm going to have to send that over to my sister so she can get it over to, to our EMA. Yeah, we, we provide the training completely free. I mean, that's why we raise the funds is we send a trainer and all the materials and everything else completely free of charge to the department. Um, we just, you know, need the invite and that's uh, about it. And as long as we have, that's what we're constantly trying to get funding so that we can um, keep it absolutely free to the first responders to get the information. No, I mean, that that's something that's actually pretty close to me, you know, with, with me being, you know, a certified firefighter and my brother-in-law being a reserve officer and my sister being a dispatcher. It, I think that's something our community could use. But once again, Mike, we really appreciate you coming in and talking with us. Yeah, it was a real pleasure having you um, on. Yeah, no problem, real, guys. real pleasure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for your political idiot of the day. Cindy McCain, late Senator John McCain's widow, claimed she stopped an attempt at human trafficking when she saw a woman and a child of different ethnicities and spoke with the police. McCain claims that the woman was waiting for the man who purchased the child to arrive on another flight. Police later refuted, stating they found no evidence of human trafficking. McCain took to Twitter to apologize and encourage people to continue saying something if you see something well, good for her i guess <laughs> <laughs> i i mean what what can you say to that jay but other than wow i mean it i know exactly what to say to it <laughs> i it, it it just baffles me that people can be so ignorant that they that they just assume something because they see people of different of different races together. I mean, it, it's like, have you never heard of adoption? Well, even even you know what's, what surprises me is like, so as you know, Trent, I'm half Filipino and half Italian, but I look more Italian. So when you mix those two, people think I'm Mexican for some reason. So they they'll like when I'm with my family, like my mother and my sisters and my brother, they'll say, oh, you know, it's really nice to have friends of the family, you know, and yada. No, this is this is my mom. <laughs> yeah, she's browner than I am. <laughs> and that's why I will always continue to call you my pet Mexican. <laughs> but no, I think I, I think Cindy McCain is kind of on the short bus right now, and that's okay. Every child is special. Yeah. And feel free to jump in on this, Mike, you know, if you got something to add, but I mean <sighs> Can anyone be on the short bus more than Senator Cortez? Senator Cortez. <laughs> AOC. <laughs> AOC. <laughs> Sh- 
She's how freely can I speak on this show? We're, we're age gated. Yeah, we're age gated. You're fine. <laughs> um. So if uh, if to speak in hangover terms, she's a retard. <laughs> she's li- she's literally a moron. Like some sometimes I look at the dem the Democratic side of things, like the far. And I'm not talking about like sort of like your middle of the road classic Democrat. I'm talking about like the trending far left. I look at them and I'm like, you know what? They seem stupid, but they're what they're doing is they're they're trying to to work an angle to retain control, power, position. You know, keep keep their seats or whatever else. But her, I actually think she believes the utter nonsense that comes out of her mouth. I think she believes it. Well, and I mean, from my position as well, you know, I, I'm, I'm a more of a conservative liberal, but even me and a lot of other liberal friends that I, that I know and, 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 and discuss politics with, you know, we'll go over some, something that AOC said about, Oh, well, yeah, this number this, and you know, this is happening. And even, you know, we'll sit around having a couple of beers and say, that's weird. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Uh, I, I just love the fact that got, uh, Trump got her out of her seat to chant USA. So the fact the fact that that yeah. happened was so painfully hilarious that all of the that they had no choice in all of their uh, their white dresses to stand up and cheer for the success of the administration for women. You retards! <laughs> I, that was another one of those. That's really weird. <laughs> Well, come on, Jay. This woman has an economics degree, and yet you—you've seen the video. She said, "I want to stop you right there. I want to stop you right there, because I went—I majored in business and minored in psychology. Two subjects which are not always mutually exclusive and should be. But I've known a lot of people with economics degrees that were are just kind of like." Okay, you need to have a seat at the kids' table now. <laughs> True, but how can you have an economics degree and sit here and on national television say you can't look at the unemployment numbers? Be, yeah, they look low, but that's only because everybody has two jobs. Yeah, that. <laughs> so, I, I mean, what? What the hell? Where is this Kool-Aid that you're drinking? Because I, I might want some on weekends, you know? What was bad is like, as you know, Trent, I've done underwriting in my previous position at my job. And <laughs> as I, I think I was applying for a loan at the time, and I was actually doing math when we were talking about this. I was like, all right, you know, trying to calculate my income with bonus and overtime and all that good stuff. And when you said that we were talking about it and then you, you, you read the article to me, I was, I kind of like, it was one of those things where I, I was so stupefied. I carried the two by accident. I thought that was just from working at McDonald's. No, working at McDonald's. That, that I needed therapy for that. I still need therapy for that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to wrap it up here at episode four. Who needs 30 rounds anyways at the city meets country podcast. As always, please follow us on our social media sites. We can be found on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, please go to our website and check out many of the wonderful things that we have going on there, as well as our affiliates. Trent. And guys, if you like the show, please consider joining our Patreon. It helps us bring you more quality content. 
and in the future, more shows. As we mentioned today, ladies and gentlemen, today's episode of the City Meets Country podcast has been brought to you in part by Sling TV, as well as our good friends over at Audible. Go to our website, citymeetscountry.net forward slash affiliates and check them out today. And guys, please, please go check out Humanizing the Badge and Call for Backup. They are great causes. And as always, my name is Jay. And I'm Trent. And you've been listening to the City Meets Country podcast. Catch us on Stitcher or wherever fine podcasts are found.